Hello, and welcome to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is your one-stop shop for all things nutrition, fitness, and mindset. Our goal is to help you make fitness and nutrition a part of your life, not your whole life. We discuss a variety of topics, including faith, self-awareness, sustainability and consistency, training programs, grocery store navigation, and how to enjoy your favorite foods without guilt or remorse. There is a lot of noise out there in the world of health and fitness, so we're here to provide real, reliable, and practical answers and recommendations that will keep you moving forward on your journey. My wife Ashley and I are your hosts, and please do not hesitate to reach out on social media to say hello, ask questions, or comment on this week's episode. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Alright everybody, welcome back. This is episode 118. I am here with Ash, but she's always here, so that's that's old news. Not always. But we're also here <laughs> with a special guest today. Today we have Shayla Curran on the show. Uh, Shayla, welcome to the show. We appreciate you taking the time. Please just take a moment and describe to everyone a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk about this. So I'm Shayla, as you just said, I am a functional medicine registered dietitian, and I specialize in women's health, hormones, all that good stuff, but particularly PCOS. So I work with women on a very one-to-one level. It's true, like hand-holding, we are in this journey together um, on, you know, healing our hormones for a lot of them, kind of getting their cycles regulated, getting them feeling better and kind of just reversing those PCOS symptoms. And we can kind of get into what those are in a minute. But in terms of why I do what I do, I always say I am my own ideal client because I have PCOS. And I kind of found the functional medicine world from you know more of a necessity rather than a curiosity. So I found out that I had PCOS when I went off of hormonal birth control, as lots of people do. and. Again, I was a dietitian at the time. So I was like such a healthy eater. I was active. I used to teach spin. Like I was what I thought, you know, the epitome of health. And I went off of birth control and everything just got super wonky. And I was like, what is going on? I mean, a lot of people do experience difficulty in that kind of transition off the pill. But even those things, I was doing all of those things right. And I was like, what's happening here? My doctors were telling me, oh, you know, you're fine, you're fine, kind of like pushing me, brushing it off. And then I kind of started to wonder myself, like, I, I feel like I have PCOS just because I'm showing a lot of the symptoms. I pushed for them to do the test. I finally got the diagnosis. And she just said, okay, well, you know, how about we just put you back on the pill? I was like, well, no, I came off the pill for a reason. You know, I, I don't want to be on it anymore. I kind of want to just like let my body do its thing. And then she was like, okay, well, you know, we can give you spironolactone for your skin because I was having, you know, that kind of typical jawline, cystic, hormonal acne. And even then I was just like, can, is there nothing else you can give me here? Like, is it just all medication that's going to just cover these things up? Um, and then she was like, okay, or, you know, you can just come back when you want to get pregnant or when you want to have a baby. 
and it, just, it didn't sit right with me for obvious reasons. And I was kind of just, I left that appointment feeling like really just not good at all. And so I did my own research and I already had, was relatively familiar with the world of functional medicine, but I hadn't really like jumped in with two feet yet. So I kind of used myself as a case study in like learning about it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is so life-changing for myself. Why is this not mainstream? Why are we not all doing this? So I ended up like going back to get just more continuing education and I completely kind of pivoted my practice. I was working for someone else's private practice at the time. And then once this kind of all came to the surface, I was like, everyone needs to know this information and I'm gonna be the one to spread it. So I kind of started my own practice and I used myself as an example. And so that's why I do what I do, because I have felt what it's like, excuse me, to be on the other side of this. You have seven minutes with your doctor and, you know, the American healthcare system is just so broken and good luck. And sorry, we don't have any answers for you, but come back when you want to get pregnant. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My jaw is like open, like opening wider and wider just as you're telling your story. It was, it was so frustrating. And then I actually, so that doctor, I, and I, she should never do this as a healthcare provider. You should not do this, but I didn't go to the doctor for like three years because I was like, screw these people. They're not going to help me. I'm doing this anyways. And then, you know, women, you need to get your past me or I finally go back and she's checking in. She's like, Oh, you know, your skin looks great. Okay. Your cycles are regular. And she said, did someone think that you had PCOS? I was like, I, I do. I do. It's just like so well managed. You know, I'm not symptomatic. Like I have reversed my symptoms, but, and since she starts asking me, Oh, well, how did you do it? And I am telling her all these things. And I was like, Oh, you know, spearmint tea, whatever. And she started laughing. She goes, you're so funny. And I literally was, I, I didn't even say anything. Cause I was just trying to get out of the office, but I was like, what's funny about that? Like I, I am physical proof. Like you saw me and now you're seeing me now and I'm not on these medications that you wanted me to go on. What's funny about that? Oh my gosh. Good for you for holding your tongue. Cause I don't know. I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. You would have held your tongue. I, yeah, I probably would have, but like, Oh my goodness. It was like a 7am appointment. So I, I, it was a blessing. If it was a noon or a 2 p.m. or if I was a little bit more awake, I probably that would have been a little would have more been fiery. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I'm so tired and I don't want to be here. Can you just do my smear and let's get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, appreciate you sharing all that because that was going to be one of my next questions was I read through your your like story that you shared on your blog. I think it was a blog or it might have just been on like the about mm-hmm. us of the website, but it had said that at one point you were not only diagnosed with PCOS, but it was PCOS, H. pylori, like candida overgrowth, SIBO, mm-hmm. like all of these different things. And so I, th- I read that and I thought, holy hell, she probably got those diagnoses and thought, what the hell happened? Exactly. That is my exact thought, especially even my mom was like, how did this happen? Like you're such a healthy person. And I, I honestly think that being on the pill in the first place just kind of set me up to be more vulnerable. Um, and post-pill PCOS is a thing, which we can talk about. But even I, when I was growing up, I was on a lot of antibiotics. I was a swimmer. I was getting swimmer's ear all the time. I had tubes put in my ears several times. So 
I was just on a lot of antibiotics, which I think, you know, that's super detrimental, especially as a child, you know, that, that stays with you. You carry that kind of gut damage, I guess you could say through your life. And so gut health is a, a driver of PCOS. And it was, I think just like a little bit of this perfect storm. And then everything kind of came to the surface when I went off the pill, I actually went off of it when like my gut started acting up because I had seen specialists for that too. And I had all lots of tests done and all of these things. And everyone was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, here's an antibiotic. You're everything's showing that you're fine, but if you're not feeling good, you can take this antibiotic and we'll just see what happens. And that too, I was like, I, what do you mean? That's all you can do for me. So I had, I had known that the pill could kind of aggravate GI symptoms. So I was like, well, that's a good place to start. Maybe we'll just go off of that. And I was thinking that it would improve things and just kind of like all hell broke loose once I went off of it, which at the time I was like, what the hell happened? And now looking back, you know, I'm, I guess I'm glad that all that happened because I understand my body so much better. You know, it opened this whole world up for me. Now I'm able to help other women with it too. But it was kind of like, I am the healthiest person from the outside that I know what's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. We actually, well, I should say me, I'm going through something very similar to the point where I saw a doctor, I was having a bunch of gut issues. I saw a doctor, traditional medicine, and he basically gave me the same advice that you got. Like, well, you're really healthy. Like all your numbers are good. Like you probably just need to eat more. Like, cause I was having issues with nausea after not eating. And I, I literally looked at him like, I am 28 years old at the time. I should not be vomiting after I don't eat for three hours. Like something is wrong there. But his advice was essentially you're healthy. Like just go eat more frequently. And then I worked with Bridget where, oh, uh, yeah, at the gut fix and did like their stool testing and that whole deal. And I came back and I essentially have like no good bacteria in my gut. My gut has a ton of bad bacteria. I'm like, all these things are wrong. And I just thought, you know, if we stuck with the traditional medicine route, there would have been no answers because they, like you said, it's seven to eight minutes per patient. It's get them in, get them out. If there's a pill for it, give it to them and, you know, cycle them through the system. So uh, I can definitely relate to the frustration. And then in retrospect, looking back and being like, holy shit, why didn't I just do that sooner? <laughs> but the thing is, so many people don't even know that there are other options out there because who, do, who wouldn't think to trust a doctor, right? So people leave and they say, okay, I guess this is just it. Yeah. Well, and like you said, trust a doctor. I think especially like all of our parents' generation, it's like the doctors are fucking geniuses. They should know everything about gut health and fitness and nutrition. And realistically, they know everything about medicine. They don't know everything about everything else. It's impossible yeah. for one person to know everything. And so... I think it's funny, even when I told my parents about working with Bridget, I'm like, hey, I'm working with this or this this RD, and she's really into functional medicine. They both kind of looked at me like I had seven heads and then asked why I didn't just go to the doctor because my insurance would cover it. And it's like navigating that conversation because it's so foreign to certain groups of individuals that it's kind of mind-boggling. It is. And I, I, I like to think that just in general – America is waking up a little bit to the functional medicine world. And even from myself, I have had conversations with my own clients, providers, you know, their doctors, PTPs, because there is coordination of care. And 
they are, in my opinion, starting to just be more open-minded to even just like having a conversation about it, that type of thing, which is makes me hopeful. But I think at the same time, I have no choice but to be hopeful because otherwise it's just very, it's very depressing and kind of, you know, what is, what is going to happen if we don't fix this? Yeah. We don't want to go down that dark and gloomy path. We'll just, exactly. we'll just keep our eyes on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Awesome. Well, let's circle back here. So we talked a lot already just in passing, so to speak with PCOS, just for context, for anybody listening, if they don't know, could you just briefly like define PCOS so that we have a baseline for the conversation? Yes, absolutely. So PCOS, it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it is the leading cause of infertility in the US. One in 10 women have it. Personally, that is the statistic. I think that it's more than that because so many people don't know that they have it because they're on birth control or they don't realize that they have it until they go off of it. So in my personal opinion, I think that it's higher than that. But the book number is one in 10 women. So even that is a lot of people. So in order to you know be diagnosed with it, you need to have two out of three diagnostic criteria. So those are irregular cycles. And so that is cycles or missing or irregular cycles. So either less than 10 periods a year or cycles that are longer than 35 days. So that's one of them. Another one is elevated androgens, or those are male sex hormones. All women have them as well, but they're just in a lower number. So those are just to name a few, um, DHEA, DHEAS, and then the classic to everyone thinks of testosterone. So just higher than normal, and those can cause like some specific symptoms that I'm sure we'll get into. And then polycystic ovaries. So the tricky thing about this is that You don't have to have polycystic ovaries to have PCOS, and you can also have polycystic ovaries when you don't have PCOS. So it's very confusing, and they're actually talking about changing the name for that exact reason. So about like 25% of healthy women will have polycystic ovaries, and that is because, you know, we're growing these new follicles every month. That is normal. And in a normal process, one follicle will become dominant. It leads to ovulation. If ovulation doesn't happen, that follicle kind of like sits there, it grows, and then you end up with that, you know, they call it like a string of pearls, right? Like those overgrown follicles that are just kind of sitting there. So the thing is, though, just because you have them doesn't mean that you have PCOS. And it's it's just... Uh, doesn't make a lot of sense and it confuses people. So in order to find out that you have it, you need to have two out of three of those. Again, you don't have to have all three and you don't even have to have the polycystic ovaries in the first place. I don't know what they would change the name to, but there is kind of lots of conversations happening about changing it. That's like kind of the baseline of just what PCOS is. Awesome. I appreciate that. I think that was pretty insightful and gave like a good, just painted a good picture of what we're talking about today and what we're going to get into So you'd mentioned a couple of those diagnostic symptoms. Are there other symptoms associated with PCOS that listeners can watch out for and help them identify whether or not like, hey, this is a conversation I should be having with either my, you know, PCP or a functional medicine practitioner? Absolutely. So there is a whole slew of kind of signs, symptoms. So the basics that we just mentioned, so missing irregular cycles that 
elevated androgens. And so even just without the lab work, a couple of the classics for those is think of things that more so happen in men happening on a female body. So head hair loss, hair growth that's not on the head. So, you know, like this kind of jawline, chin strap area, um, you know, that a little bit of a thicker mustache. I mean, everyone has peach fuzz, but if it's a little bit heavier, that type of thing, some people have hair on like their lower back or kind of below their belly button. Um, that like cystic acne in that same jawline area, especially if you have never struggled with that type of acne before and then you go off of birth control and it doesn't have to be just the pill either. It can be other types of birth control as well. So if that is new to you, um, hair thinning as well, not just hair loss, oily skin too, especially like in that T-zone area, like your nose in between your eyes, constipation, fatigue, brain fog, mood changes as well. So there's a really strong correlation between PCOS and anxiety and depression. That's because of like low progesterone that's typically associated with PCOS. That is a hormone that I, I call it one of our happy hormones. So if we don't have enough progesterone, then you can have some funky mood swings that are not very comfortable or fun for the people around you either. And then just more PMS in general. One thing to note is that period pain is not a symptom of PCOS. So if you're having really painful cycles, like not just cramps, but like real pain, that's something else. Got it. But those no, are kind of like awesome. the basics. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So those are the basic symptoms. And then with all of that said, what is the actual like root cause of this? Like what happens within the body physiologically that's causing PCOS to you know, present itself and cause all these other issues? So PCOS actually is very mysterious in that science has not yet discovered like what causes it. So the cause is a little bit unknown. However, there are some certain like drivers of it or root causes, but that is not the cause. It's not like you can get skin cancer from, you know, a tanning bed or something like that. It's, it's unknown how it presents itself in the first place with the exception of post birth control uh, PCOS. So that is what happens. So when we come off the pill or any type of hormonal birth control. So those are androgen suppressing medications, right? So androgens, those male sex hormones, they are pretty much all hormone suppressing medication or all sex hormone suppressing medication. So androgen is just one of them. But when we remove that medication, it can cause a surge in those androgens. So that can kind of give us this initial kind of shock when you're going off of it where your androgens go through the roof. And then what also can happen is in that transition off of it, your insulin resistance can be a little bit more difficult than it ever has been before. And that's also going to disrupt ovulation. So that is something that is decently common. However, that is like the one type of PCOS that can actually resolve itself on its own with time. So PCOS does not have a cure. You know, you can reverse your symptoms, but you can't get rid of it with the exception of post-birth control PCOS. So other than that though, there are a few kind of main drivers. There are some people out there that will kind of put them in boxes for what your PCOS type is, but really all of the types intertwined with each other. So you can't 
really say that you just have one, but those are, you know, just for the most part, insulin resistance is a huge one as well as stress levels and adrenal dysfunction. And then this kind of chronic inflammation going on and gut imbalances. So those are kind of our three main pillars. Most people have all three going on and maybe like one of them will dominate over the other, but you really can't say, oh, I have adrenal PCOS or I have inflammation PCOS, which some people out there do try and like make it a thing. But that, in my opinion, is looking at it much too simply and kind of going back to that almost like conventional medicine mindset of just categorizing people into boxes because it's, it's easier that way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And at that point too, then they can come up with protocols for each box. Right. And then it's just a matter of, it's a process. It's just like any, think of it like it's almost like a business, right? Like if you have methods to your medicine, you have systems in place, you can reach more people and generate more revenue. So it's the same way with the, the doctor's office. If they have systems and boxes that you can put people in these buckets and you have protocols for each one, well, now that, now that seven or eight minutes is just enough to identify place them in there, give them the prescription and kind of kick them out the door. Exactly. And the thing is too, all of these pillars or these root causes or the drivers, they impact each other. So it just makes it even more impossible to say that it's just one thing, you know, insulin resistance can be impacted by your gut health, for example, right? You know, all of those microbes can control how your blood sugar is and how we're digesting our food and nutrient absorption and all of those things. So it is, you're so right in that on paper, it sounds really nice and it could be a moneymaker to just say, oh, you know, you have this, I don't even need to meet with you and I can tell you what to do, but you should still pay me anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's uh, yeah. a lot more complicated than that. We just had a, we just had an appointment for uh, our baby and we literally, I was laughing because we walked into the room after the sonogram and it was just like hmm. a robot. It was like a TV like on a cart and they were like, all right, doctor will be with you in a minute. Dude pops on, talks to us for 37 seconds. <laughs> and then he's like, you're all good. I'll see you at week 20. And I looked at her and I said, he makes 400 grand a year to do that. <laughs> I would have went to med school if that was the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. But what I immediately thought of as you were describing all of that, especially the like post pill PCOS is it's really similar to what happens a lot in like the bodybuilding community in which when men come off of cycles of testosterone, steroids, HGH, their hormones are completely, it, it's actually the opposite. Instead of producing more of the hormones that they're injecting, as soon as they come off of the cycle, their body stops producing testosterone naturally, stops producing other hormones naturally, and they get all jacked up just like you're describing with coming off the pill. So really interesting like correlation there with the uh, post pill PCOS. Is there like a common time frame of like how you said you can like potentially get rid of that? I would say one to two years. If it's longer than that, then you got the real thing. Right. Okay. Um, but it, you do, you know, it, it depends too on how long you've been on birth control in the first place. Right. Because it does take your body to recover. We don't bounce back as quickly as we expect to. It honestly is comical to think about, you know, the clients that come to me and they say, oh, well, you know, I want to conceive, 
in August. So my, my doctor told me that I should go off of birth control in July. And I'm like, I mean, maybe some people are super lucky, but no, your, your body is not a robot. We, it needs time to kind of recover. And even going back to what you had just said about, you know, even, you know, the testosterone, the bodybuilding, I think it's so funny how everyone thinks of, you know, these, even in professional sports, right? Those steroid or performance enhancing drugs, they're not allowed, they're illegal. And for some reason, everyone just, no one even thinks of birth control as a medication, you know, a medication that has these side effects when they're so, it's, it's so accepted, but you kind of just take the same thing and pivot a little bit. And it's also widely known, oh, that's, that's not good for you. And I am not anti-pill or anti-birth control at all. I think that it's really important for women to have access to it and, you know, for autonomy and all that stuff. But 50% of women on birth control are not using it for birth control. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy statistic, right? Especially when you consider all of the side effects that come with it and the damage that it can do to the body. It's a serious lack of informed consent. So I just want to make that clear. I am not anti-birth control. I think that if it's the right choice for you and you have thought about the other options, hell yeah, all the power to you. But those conversations aren't being had. Yeah, I completely agree with you. We have very, very similar like mental or like a mentality to that. Yeah, because I know Ash has been doing a ton of research into all of that. And I mean, how long ago was it that you came off the pill? Years ago well, it's, now. It's funny that you said like the doctor and like the month before thing, because I was on hormonal birth control for it was a long time. And I ended up switching to the copper IUD. But similar to what you were saying I was telling our doctor like in the next year we want to try to get pregnant and they're like oh so you want to get your copper IUD removed right now because you want to get pregnant now and I'm like no like in a in a few months I want my body like I want to see how my body is I really want to just notice how things are naturally and it was just a foreign concept like they were like okay just like that's up to you then i'm like uh-huh like just take it, it out actually is. <laughs> yes, this is my body thank you yeah yeah i think the way you f- you phrased it was or the way you framed it with like lack of informed consent or you said something along those lines mm-hmm. because i think i think it's getting better like ash has definitely been doing a lot more research i'm seeing more of it out there people talking about it but i think when we were probably from the ages of like you know all the way to like 14 to 25, 26, 27, I don't think a lot of women had any idea that there were other options or that birth control was as powerful in terms of suppressing hormones as it actually is. If we think about everything that you just described with PCOS and how birth control can mask it, and then you have this like overflow of reaction, imagine how potent that medication actually is or that you know that pill actually is it's doing incredibly incredible things but incredibly negative things in some aspects right and that's the thing too you know that first of all people are saying that birth control is like the longest experiment that we are actively doing like nobody really knows except for until it starts happening to you it hasn't really been around long enough for us to know these long-term effects like I have clients that are coming off of birth control after being on it for 
15, 20 years. That's such a long time to be on something and you have no idea what it's doing to you. But even that too, you know, these women that have been just, they were given birth control in high school because either maybe they had irregular cycles or they were struggling with acne. First of all, as a teenager, it can take a few years for your cycle to regulate. So, so many of those providers are really jumping the gun with prescribing birth control because you haven't even given their body time to balance out and have a regular cycle in the first place. But also, for example, going back to, you know, okay, I want to go off of it and then try and have a baby right away. When you, or that's what the doctor's saying, not you. <laughs> yeah. People, when they go on birth control and then they come off, all of the symptoms that you had when you went on birth control are going to just come right back. And I think that that's what people don't, they, I shouldn't say that they don't understand. They aren't explained to that, that it's not solving anything. It doesn't balance anything, just kind of shuts everything down and replaces it with these synthetic hormones, which on a molecular level, structurally are completely different. Yeah, it's truly not getting to the root cause at all. I saw um, a meme the other day and it was talking about birth control and it was like, so you're really just trying to tell me that I have to decide if I want to have a baby, if I want to have depression, because like... <laughs> birth control can cause depression and anxiety in people and it just there there are there are more options that we're just not being given mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i love that you brought that up too because that correlation if you don't work in any kind of like i don't want to call us healthcare but if you don't work in the fitness industry or healthcare or nutrition space it's really it's very shocking when you get into those spaces and discover how many women or on birth control and then also have antidepressant or also have anti-anxiety and not just like women who like not just elderly women or younger women like the whole gambit from from a to z it's it's insane to me how many female clients we work with that both of those things are present yeah. and it's just shocking that it's just kind of accepted as all right well this is just how it goes like if you're on birth control and you start to have anxiety, well, we'll just give you the pill for that. And we'll figure out the next move, you know, and that's how people when they're 60 are taking nine to 10 medications a day. I actually heard a statistic the other day that if you're over the age of 55, I think the average number of prescriptions that you're consuming in a day is five. And then oh, like, don't even get me started on big pharma, you know, like it's all a scam, right? Like oh, yeah. I'm not, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's just, it's not it. Mm -mm. No, definitely not. It's just, it's so shocking. Uh, all right, we're getting sidetracked though because we don't want to dive into big pharma because I don't know enough about it and it sounds like you're going to get fired up. We're going we're gonna to have we're to reroute here. We're going to reroute. Okay, so we talked, about, we talked about what PCOS is, signs and symptoms, the root cause of those symptoms and how they're manifesting. Now, what are the potential complications of PCOS? Like if you're a woman listening, you have PCOS, what are some things that are going to be either difficult to achieve or that PCOS is going to hinder you from doing, uh, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely does. So there are several of them. And the thing that people forget too is that PCOS is not just a hormonal condition, but it's an endocrine, endocrine and metabolic condition as well. So it's, yes, you know, infertility is a complication, endometrial cancer is a complication, but so is diabetes and heart disease 
and eating disorders, which that one is kind of, we have created that one ourselves, just with the narrative around it, which we can get to. Um, hypothyroidism is another one. And it's really like just demonstrating how your whole body works together and we cannot isolate one system. Uh, anxiety, depression as well. Those are kind of like complications, but also symptoms at the same time. So it's definitely not something to be taken lightly. And this is what drives me crazy about the classic conventional lens is they say, okay, you know, don't worry about it. We can talk, we can figure it out when you want to have a baby. And they act as if like fertility is the only, only thing that we need to be concerned about here. And then they're saying, oh, you should just go lose weight without really knowing anything about what they're eating or if they're working out. And oftentimes these women are already like starving themselves because weight loss with PCOS can be so challenging. And then it's just creating this system that's just exacerbating symptoms more, which I might be getting ahead of myself. Well, we can get to that, but those are the main ones. No, that's perfect. And you were about to segue right into my next question, which is in traditional medicine, because we've been talking both sides, traditional versus functional. In traditional medicine, how is PCS, PCOS typically treated and why is that not the most effective method? Because that's obviously what we're hinting at here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In case I haven't made it clear, I disagree <laughs> with that. So the traditional medicine route would be, okay, let's put you on birth control. If you don't want to be on birth control, we'll give you this synthetic progesterone so you can at least get your period. You do want to be having that monthly bleed because that's where the risk of endometrial cancer increases if you just have like that endometrial lining hanging out and sitting there and not going anywhere for months at a time. That's where like these growths and things we don't want. That's when that can happen. Um, also, you know, spironolactone, which is actually a diuretic. So, you know, if you don't know what that is, it makes you pee a lot. So people get put on this spironolactone for their like typical of the androgen symptoms. So if you have acne, that type of thing, like my doctor tried to put me on it when I had like two zits. So it's kind of just the first line. But it's also, it's not like a, a light medication at all. If you are on spironolactone, you have to be on birth control because if you get pregnant when you're on spironolactone, the risk for birth defects is super high. So it's not really a medication to be like used lightly. And it, it is, it's, it's thrown around like it's candy. Uh, metformin is another one. And these are all medications, might I add. Um, that is for like blood sugar control. The other thing about metformin is that if you're on it for a long time, it can start to impact other things like B12 absorption. And it's just, again, not something that doesn't have any side effects that you should just be on for 50 years when you don't know, even know what it's doing. And then pretty much, unless you are already like in a leaner body, they will recommend weight loss. And in my experience, well, I, I was not recommended to lose weight but from my client experience, their doctors are just telling them, oh, go lose weight or lose 10% of your body mass is a really popular one. But they're not having the conversation of what are you eating? Are you exercising? You know, so it's, it's kind of making this assumption that if they're struggling with their weight, it's because they're, they're lazy or they don't exercise or they don't eat well or they don't take care of themselves when it's really the other way around in that your weight is a symptom of your PCOS, not a driver. So 
So those are kind of the conventional medicine routes to address it. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty eye-opening. Did you have something to add there, Ash? You looked no, like you were going to speak. So. No? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's the traditional route, which essentially was a bunch of medication. And then if none of that works, like try some weight loss, which again, you're not even, even with the weight loss, that might sound more holistic, but you're not addressing all of the actual root causes that may be preventing them from achieving that body composition that's more ideal for health. Exactly. Like it sounds holistic at face value, but it's not being recommended to be done in a holistic way. I was going to say, I feel like it's just pointing them to all of the fad diets that make like make you want to lose weight as fast as possible to hopefully get rid of these PCOS symptoms. Or the amount of women with PCOS that are doing keto or low carb, because again, we live in this world where carbs are not having a moment right now when it comes to like society and diet culture in general like carbs are very much so antagonized in today's society and like i swear it is my life mission to make sure that all these ladies are eating their carbs men too but like mostly women that have like grown up with atkins or really keto is just atkins like reincarnated and it's really doing more harm than good so that's what i mentioned before you know eating disorders being a complication because especially for women in general, like it's so, it's very difficult to be a woman in America right now, just, you know, that sounds incredibly privileged, but mostly meaning just kind of having to navigate this very heavy world of diet culture and then having this metabolic component that isn't necessarily explained to you either. Like half of my clients that come to me with PCOS, they have no idea that their weight is linked, that their PCOS is causing the weight management issue. So they were just like super frustrated and confused. And they're like, yeah, I guess I'll do intermittent fasting. Why not? You know, I have nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, that happens even with just anybody who doesn't have PCOS. They're coming to us and saying the exact same thing, saying they are going to do intermittent fasting or keto. And because, like you said, carbs are the enemy and we've got all this negativity and diet culture and all these stigmas. But I can definitely see how anybody who would come to you, one of your clients, that's probably pretty shocking to them when you start actually diving into the science and explaining all of the details that we're going over now to the point where they probably are thinking, holy shit, I wish someone told me this sooner. I wish my doctor had told me about this 10 years ago. Yes, exactly. Like carbs are not the enemy. They're going to help you. And so many women are really terrified to eat more carbs when I tell them to. And they're super hesitant because you know, their whole lives, they were told, oh, you know, eat less carbs, eat less carbs, eat less carbs, especially those people that might be like weighing themselves frequently or daily, you know, carbohydrate, water is in the word, right? Carbs hold on to more water than fat and protein do. So when these people are, you know, kind of maybe obsessively weighing themselves or just doing it regularly, even, you know, daily, and even if they like think that they have a healthy mindset with the scale or a healthy relationship with the scale, if you're doing it often enough to notice those tiny changes, if you see, oh, I added carbs and the scale went up, carbs are making me fat. I can't eat them. When in reality, you just have a little bit more water on you from the carb. It, your body mass hasn't changed, but it's just like this. There's so much fear around carbs and like mm -hmm. breaking that down for people. 
once they get it, it's super liberating for them. And it's really fun to just even watch because people like find joy in food again. And like, I became a dietitian because I love to eat. Like I love food. So allowing people to see that too is so fun, but it is always a little sad to, to just see the state that these people are in. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm, I'm just saying, let's bring back the old food pyramid where like the grains <laughs> were on the bottom, all the carbs, just bring that back. Just, just crush them. I'm all, I'm all for, I'm definitely for carbs. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on from there. So now let's talk, that was the traditional route with functional medicine or functional practitionership, if that's a word, I don't know. I'm just making up words now. Uh, yeah, that's close enough. What does it look like to manage PCOS from a holistic perspective? So we really take a whole body approach going back to, okay, this is not just a hormonal condition. It's a whole endocrine metabolic entire body condition. So we go at it from all angles. Everyone comes to me and there's like, they're expecting, you know, what's this one thing that I can do. And there's no quick answer like that. So we really, we do everything. You know, our first session is incredibly in depth. Like I want to know about the antibiotics that you were on when you were five years old, right? Like we look at your whole body, your whole life, your stress levels, how your relationship is, all, all these components of your life so that we can really take very targeted action to what's going on. So something that I do with all of my clients is we do the Dutch test. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, it's just a super comprehensive functional medicine hormone test. It's pretty much the gold standard for hormone testing on the market right now. And, you know, just as an example, it is so detailed. Like you might go and get serum blood labs done and they might say, okay, this is your estrogen level. Whereas on the Dutch test, we say, okay, here are all three of your estrogens. We have more than just one. And this is how your body is breaking them down and how they're metabolizing. And what is your body doing with those metabolites and why, right? So that we're able to go in there and say, okay, this is your root cause, right? Going back to the kind of those pillars how much are you in each camp so that we can take action based off of that. So getting that data is a huge game changer because it allows us to save you time, save you money, save you sanity. And then going from there, we focus on, okay, blood sugar balance. How is your insulin response? How is your stress level? And again, so many women come to me and they're like, well, I don't feel stressed. And then we do the labs and I'm like, girlfriend, your cortisol isn't even through the roof. Your cortisol is on the floor because we already burned through it so much that you don't even have any left, right? So a lot of times your body and your mind might not be as aligned as you think that they are. And that's because people forget that your stress levels are so much more than just what we think of as stress, right? Like, oh, I had an annoying work day or I got in a fight with my partner on the phone or, you know, I got a speeding ticket, right? There's so much more than just those like surface level stressors in your body's stress, right? First of all, there's like the concept or the conversation of like trauma that we're holding on to. You know, I refer so many of my clients to therapists, even like micro traumas, little things like that, they can hang out, they can impact your, your physical body too. But also how are you sleeping? Are you eating enough? Are you working out way too much? I see that all the time. Are you working out? Not at all. Are you dehydrated? Do you have those gut imbalances? We also do stool testing with all of my clients as well because it is such a serious driver and gut health and hormone health are so closely related. We'll talk about 
sleep hygiene, you know, mineral balances, making sure that you're getting all the electrolytes that you need, supporting your adrenals and your thyroid. So it's very much so like we talk about everything to slowly get these pieces working where we want them to be and kind of like healing your metabolism, healing your insulin response to allow you to ovulate. That's kind of like the main goal, but also allow this cascade to kind of all fall into place. And then slowly but surely, the symptoms do go away, but it takes time and it's a lot less sexy than like, take this pill and you'll feel better by next week. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny you brought up the stress before we keep going because I know Ash was like kneeing me under the table <laughs> because when I did all of my testing with Bridget over at the Gut Fix, we were talking about everything and she was like, are you, are you stressed? And I said, no, like I'm good. I, I don't get stressed. And <laughs> she said, well, I mean, according to these results, like you're really fucking stressed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, okay. And she's like, you need to figure out a way to manage it. I was like, well, how do I manage it if I don't even know it? So then I think the next day I ordered like an adult coloring book <laughs> and I was like, all right, this is how I'm going to manage it. <laughs> and we're going to go from there. I have one of those two. I think you're great. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't even have to be like therapy or something like that. But I always say, you know, and this is kind of a common metaphor in the functional medicine world, but everybody has a stress cup, right? So I have this cup right here. So ideally you want your kind of baseline to be nice and low so that, you know, okay, you get the speeding ticket, you get in a fight with someone, you have a bad day kind of like bops up a little bit or you have, you know, a bad night's sleep. Maybe you have, you're ill prepared for your nutrients and you end up getting takeout that maybe isn't super good for you. So it's, it's popping up a little bit and then we balance things out and it comes back down and it's not a big deal. But when our baseline is up here, higher up on the cup, and again, any one of those things happen, that's when the cup can overflow. And when we, the cup overflows, that's when we get like those physical symptoms. Maybe it's like a mental breakdown. Maybe you miss your period, whatever it might be. But the important part is, is knowing that the cup is always going to be going up and down, but even just knowing, okay, this is going to be a pretty stressful day ahead of me. Can I make sure that I'm getting a really good night's sleep the night before to give myself a buffer? Or can I make sure that I have extra electrolytes on hand because I know that when I'm stressed, my body burns through them more or especially with, you know, exercise and PCOS. So many people with PCOS think once they learn a little bit, oh, I'm not supposed to do cardio. Okay, I'm just, the only exercise I can do is walk, right? That's not necessarily true. We can, you can do that higher intensity stuff if you enjoy it, but how can we set you up so that your body is better prepared to handle that stress? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's something we talk about a lot with our clients as well. We use a very similar analogy because we have, I mean, we've worked with hundreds of people and every single one of them says the same thing. They say that exercise is how they manage their stress. And it's like, that's not how you manage stress. That's actually just more liquid in the cup, more. Mm -hmm. And it's starting to, that's what's causing, could potentially be causing it to overflow, so to speak. And yeah. so we have that conversation all the time of, hey, let's find a way to manage our stress that isn't additional exercise that causes you to be more stressed even though you don't think it is right like even if it's you might think that mentally it's a stress reliever this is not this is a net gain for your stress cup right mm -hmm. yeah i mean right. exercise literally regardless of like the intensity of it if you're doing any kind of resistance training or any kind of 
like high intensity interval training or just normal cardiovascular exercise, it's putting strain on the body. That's literally how your body adapts because you're stressing it beyond what it's capable or beyond what it's adapted to already. So to think that it's doing the opposite and it's actually helping relieve all of this stress, I mean, it's just crazy, especially when you start talking to clients and explain, hey, when you break down muscle tissue, inflammation is what causes the healing process. So you're literally exercising, which is causing additional inflammation, which if you're extremely stressed, you already have a ton of that in your system. And it just like is this domino effect, a snowball effect. Yes, it's just like this spiral. And then take it one step further and say, okay, you know, I'm actually so busy. The only time that I have to work out is at five o'clock in the morning. So I'm gonna only get five hours of sleep tonight so that I can wake up and do my cardio on an empty stomach, but it's okay because I'm gonna have a coffee before I do it. And it's just like, oh my God, we are doing all of the stressful things all at once. This is such a perfect storm. I'm stressed out hearing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. We've definitely seen that as well. Now you had mentioned it was really, if I summarize everything, just taking in a bunch of data. And then when you have that data, you're addressing these components. Now, when you're addressing these various symptoms at their root cause, what does a lot of that treatment or management look like? Is it done a lot through nutrition? Is it done a lot through like stress management techniques and a holistic approach? Is there supplementation involved? Kind of what does that look like? All of the above. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we do, we take it from a couple angles, primarily to put it simply, diet, lifestyle, and supplements. So. Even the healthiest of eaters need supplements. I take supplements, especially for PCOS. There's just, there are underlying metabolic things that yes, you can reverse your symptoms, but again, you can't cure it. So it's always going to be there. So there are some supplements that are important. Um, some of the supplements are more short-term so we can kind of get you back to like that homeostasis that your body likes to be at. And some of them you just kind of take forever. Um, but yes, diet wise, we talk about more carbs in case I can't talk about that enough today, but also just like overall balance. Everyone asks me if I do meal plans and I say, no, I do not do meal plans because that would be a disservice to you as the client, right? Cause I can give you a five day meal plan. But then what happens on day six? Do you just start over and then you eat the same five days of meals for the rest of your life? You know, you're not really walking away with that with any education. So we talk about, you know, how can we build a meal that's going to serve you today for what you have going on today. And it's a really challenging concept for people to grasp that your needs change every day because so many people are used to, you know, maybe like the calorie tracking life where, okay, my fitness pal told me that I should eat 1200 calories a day, no matter what, every day. So that's what I'm going to do. And I actually do have some clients download my fitness pal for a couple of days. Like I'm not going to like completely say that it's a useless, harmful tool. But we teach them how to recognize, okay, what does my day look like? How are my stressors? How much sleep did they get? How active am I that day? Where am I in my cycle? You know, and we can kind of cater to how can we nourish you and really focusing on abundance over restriction, which is also a new concept for a lot of people, you know, looking at what do you eat now? What do you like to eat? What can we add to your diet for the most part? That's just going to make it more balanced and better for you. So Again, I love food for the most part. I am not someone that tells you that you should never eat anything. There are a few things that we can talk about later or we can talk about now. But for the most part, we're talking about what can we add to your plate? And then yes, lifestyle, tweaking, even just like your schedule and making 
making it work for you, whether that means less orange theory or getting to bed earlier or less blue light in the bedroom, you know, oral microbiome stuff that will impact your gut health, which is then going to impact your PCOS, right? It's, it's kind of just fine tuning all of those components to put the recipe together. Yeah, no, I love that. How dare you take away someone's splat points at their orange theory class? They're going to come after you. It's not a fun conversation. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure. I I actually did like a one month stint coaching at Orange Theory. It was like right when COVID hit, I was coaching at a CrossFit gym. I was like, you know what? The money here is terrible. I can go to Orange Theory. I'll make significantly more. And I went into that like culture and I was like, yep, I can't do this. I immediately (laughs) left that, but they're diehard. Some of those folks. It's, it's a culture. Yes. Yes. And again, I'm not going to tell you that you can never do orange theory, but let's be a little bit more strategic about it, right? Can we figure out how it's going to work best in your life? Can we weave it into your cycle in the days that your body is going to respond better to it? You know, like different types of exercise are going to be more appropriate depending on where you are in your cycle too. And you know, how much, what's your kind of stress threshold? How much can you handle right now? Do we take a three week break from orange theory and then go back and reevaluate? You know, it, it's not black or white which is what I always tell people and reassure them. I'm like, I'm not taking away your, your most loved thing. But also sometimes it's like, let's take a look at your relationship with orange theory because is that disordered? And I'm just using orange theory as an example, but this could be, you know, spin class or running or, or any type of super high stress exercise. No, it fits perfect. Cause I always give orange theory <laughs> and CrossFit a hard time, even though I love CrossFit uh well you always use those two because everybody recognizes those names right so why not use them exactly. it clicks mm-hmm. with people uh but okay so you're addressing dietary uh components lifestyle as well as supplementation now for for the supplement side of things and i guess we can also throw in those couple of things that you wanted were hinting at that you would restrict if i can use that word on their plate what are those few foods that maybe aren't the best in that situation if you're trying to manage your PCOS? And then also, is there like a couple go-to supplements that tend to help manage PCOS the best? Or is it very dependent on the individual? Yes. So there is certainly supplements that work best for pretty much everyone with PCOS. And then there's only a couple of them. And then for the most part, it's kind of like a case-by-case basis. So to start with that one, so a supplement called Sensitol or Ovast. I always say this one wrong. It's like Ovastiol, Ovastol. The supplements itself, they're inositols. They're like a B vitamin derivative. They're super helpful for PCOS. They help with egg quality. They help regulate cycles. They help with ovulation. I pretty much have every single person, every single client that I have with PCOS take it. My favorite brand is Sensitol, primarily because I can pronounce it. It's the same thing as the other one, which I'm not even dry again. And then also, you know, omega-3s are great because inflammation is a problem. But with all of these supplements, you want to make sure that they're really well sourced, but particularly omega-3s because it's kind of a delicate supplement in terms of heat exposures, chemical treatments, that type of thing. And then also vitamin D, especially in the northern region, I think pretty much everyone should be taking vitamin D during the winter, but especially for PCOS, vitamin D is super helpful. And then from that for supplements, it's pretty much a case-by-case basis. And then your question before that one, what are those foods that we should not be eating? So first of all, or that we could, the foods that are not serving you, that are going to do more harm than good. 
everyone hates me when I say this, but alcohol is only going to cause more inflammation. It's going to increase your, you know, intestinal permeability in your gut lining. It's going to, you know, increase your estrogen and it's, it's not doing anything good for you. You know, maybe in the moment it feels good, but even the next day it doesn't feel so good. Right. So that's one that's huge. Again, there are strategic ways to, you know, buffer yourself to include more alcohol in your life, which is another conversation. And then added sugars is another one. Again, it's not that you should never eat them. I eat them too, but you know, just being strategic about them, trying to, you know, go for the less refined ones and trying to make sure that you're eating them either like with fat and protein and fiber or eating them right after you've had a really nice and balanced meal. And then the other one that is just my main no one should ever eat this. It's just hydrogenated oils. Like this is basic stuff, people. Like that is the kind of thing that's like illegal in Europe, bad for you. That like the American food system is just really behind on. And all of my clients get really sad when I tell them that Skippy or their Jif, their, their beloved peanut butters are going to be like the probably like the main source of it in their diet. But again, the rule is, you know, in order to have less than zero grams or zero grams of trans fat, which is hydrogenated oil on a label, you have to have less than half a gram per serving. But if you look at some of the serving sizes on these products, like who really eats just one? You know what I mean? So people are eating more trans fat than they think. And it's literally a man-made food. It's not even food. So that is another one. But those are kind of my main, like, okay, the added sugars, alcohol, and hydrogenated oil. Well, thank God I'm not a woman because I love me some gif. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, who who doesn't? No one it's should not be eating for women. I know. I'm just, <laughs> not just for women. I know. I know. I was you guys kneeing don't him underneath me. the table again. I'm like, you hear her? You hear her? Okay, to be <laughs> fair, I have not eaten gif in months. I know you don't, <laughs> but that's your go-to peanut bridge. butter if you want it. A good bridge peanut butter is like a skippy natural, you know, like it still has added saturated fats, but no hydrogenated oil. I was eating the GIF natural. Look at me go. <laughs> Close enough. Like, Close I enough. still don't think it's natural. Yeah. It's definitely not. But yeah. I, it's like a step down unit for peanut butter, you know? See, I'm, I'm just a step down. I'm almost there. Uh, no, that's, that's awesome. Okay, so those are the three. You named a couple of the supplements there. Kind of wrapping this up, if someone listening has either been diagnosed with PCOS or is experiencing some of the symptoms uh, that are associated with it, what are like two or three things that they could do right now to start managing their symptoms as they're trying to navigate, do I reach out to someone, do I hire a coach, do I hire a functional medicine practitioner, et cetera? Totally. So main one for literally everybody is focusing on blood sugar balance. So everyone with PCOS for the most part is going to have some degree of insulin resistance. So maybe you are in the camp of I am keto. Maybe you're in the camp of I pay no attention to what I'm eating and I eat like a muffin for breakfast every day. Right. So we want to be in the middle. So having kind of a nice balanced plate that has a whole food carb, a fat, a protein and some fiber, so ideally that would look like some type of fruit or vegetable, you know, either a whole grain, a piece of fruit, a potato or a starchy vegetable, something like that, beans with a nice lean protein and a good serving of fat 
the good fats, right? So maybe it's avocado, olives, avocado oil, olive oil, or extra virgin olive oil, I should say. Any type of like nut or seed for those fats, I would not try and have those be made up of like the seed oils or the vegetable oils, that type of thing, like those more processed oils. But that's one thing that you can do for blood sugar balance. The other thing that you can do is also like timing out your meals and your exercise. Like if you're having a more carb heavy meal, if you just go for a 15 or 20 minute walk after you eat, it's going to balance out that curve so significantly. Like it shocks me every time I see anyone that wears like a glucose monitor, the differences in, you know, 20 minutes of movement after eating versus going back to the desk. So that can really help with blood sugar balance. Eating enough is really important for blood sugar balance too. And stress levels, which actually leads me into my next one that I was going to recommend is just take an audit of your stress levels and look into the things that could be stressing you out that are beyond just what we think of as like classic, like, you know, mental stressors, right? Like, how do you feel in your body? How well are you sleeping? Also, like, how's your toxic load? What kind of products are you using? Do you have like lots of chemicals in all of the cleaners that you're using or your body wash? Because that's going to contribute to your overall stress load as well. I always tell people for that, take it really slowly because it can be really overwhelming to try and overhaul your entire cabinet. So for stress levels with your toxic load, I always just tell people to go to the environmental working group website. They have like a skin deep site for it. And you can just type in your products and it will give you like a score. And so starting for what is the biggest surface area and what do you use most of the time? So I don't really care about your mascara that you wear on the weekends, right? Let's talk about the body wash that you're using over your entire body every single day or the lotion that you're using over your entire body every single day. Those things are going to contribute to your toxic stress, which we want to minimize, you know, work stress. Are you exercising too much? That type of thing. And then also practicing this would be the third one and this is like a little bit less mainstream and a new concept for a lot of people but actually trying to tune into your own body because so often you know again we're just being inundated with these messages about what we should be eating when we should be eating how much we should be eating what should we be doing for exercise when are we doing exercises and it's all external information that we lose this ability that we were born with to to actually like listen to your body and tune into what your body needs or is asking for. And that's going to be something that's really important to take with you your entire life, whether or not you work with someone. I always tell all my clients, like, I love you, but the goal is for you to never need me again, right? Like I'm going to send you on your way and you should be able to just have the tools to do this. So allowing yourself to even just take a beat, get quiet, listen to what you need so that you can kind of respond accordingly and say, okay, I'm weak. I'm, I'm on my way to the gym for this orange series class. We'll keep going with that. And I feel like shit and I'm so tired or I have left the orange theory class and I don't feel energized at all. I feel like I could go back to bed or puke, you know, like that is your body giving you information. So just allowing yourself to listen to all of that feedback. Those would be kind of my main starting points that I took a really long time to explain. <laughs> no, I love that. That was awesome. Uh, and if anybody missed anything, they can always just rewind it 30 seconds and well, maybe, yeah. maybe 90 <laughs> seconds, but we'll, well, they'll get it all. Uh, no, that was great. So fantastic. Uh, well, all that said, if folks want to find out more about you, you know, your services, where can they find you? What's the best place to go? 
Totally. So the best place to go would probably be Instagram. I love chatting in the DMs. If anyone has con- like questions or want to have a quick conversation, I always say like, if anyone has questions, don't be afraid to reach out because if you were asking about working together, it's just as important to me that like you're a good fit for my practice as it is that I am a good fit for you. So, you know, if we hop on the phone, it is the opposite of a sales call. Like, let's just see what's going on for you. Because again, I have been you and I want what's best for you. And sometimes that's not me, you know, and like, I'll refer you out to someone else. So you can send me a DM. You could send me an email, which is just Shayla Rose nutrition at gmail.com. My website is Shayla Rose nutrition. My handle at Instagram is Shayla Rose nutrition. So everything is the same. It's everywhere. And I, again, client or not like, I'm so happy to chat, especially with functional medicine is new to people. I, I am so eager to help in any capacity that I'm able to. No, I love that. And I will link all of that in the show notes. So that way anybody listening can figure out, even though I think everything was Shayla Rose. So hopefully <laughs> they'll be able to navigate that, but it will be in the show notes as well. Uh, well, Shayla, we appreciate you so much for coming on, chatting with us. Uh, I think it was pretty eye-opening conversation, informative conversation. I know Ash probably was obsessed because it's a lot of the stuff that she's been researching herself and looking into, especially like the birth control side of things. And yeah, I just thought it was a great conversation. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Absolutely. Well, hopefully sometime in the future we can have you on again. Uh, But yeah, thanks again. And we will see you soon. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Whether this is your first time tuning in or if you're here with us each and every week, Ash and I just want to take a moment to express our thanks and gratitude. We are so incredibly blessed to have your support and we could not continue to show up week in and week out if it were not for you. If you enjoy what you hear on this channel, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, leave a review in there as well. That is how we reach more people and change more lives through the platform. Lastly, if you don't follow us across all of our other social media accounts, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. Our handles are either Ballistic.Performance or Ballistic Performance across all of those platforms. Or you can check us out online at TrainBallistic.com. Again, we appreciate and love you so much, and we hope you have a fantastic week.